podcast, Roberto Maranka, former Chief Data Officer at Lloyds Banking Group, talks about data leadership through GDPR and privacy. So stay tuned. Welcome everyone to Future of Data podcast. Today we have with us Roberto Maranka. He is a former Chief Data Officer at Lloyd's Banking Group and a brief bio with almost 25 years of experience in the world of IT and data. Robert, uh, Roberto has spent most of its working life with General Electric uh, in the, the capital division where since 2014 as Chief Data Officer of their international unit, he has been overlooking and the implementation of the data governance and quality framework spanning from supporting risk model validations to enabling divestures and leading their more recent Basel 3 data initiatives. For the last year, he has held the role of Chief Data Officer uh, at Lloyd's Banking Group, shaping, implementing uh, the new data strategy and dividing the time between BCBS uh, 239 and GDPR programs. Roberto has got master's degree in aeronautic, uh, aeronautical engineering from Federico to Naples University. With that, uh, Roberto, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Vishal. Pleasure to be here. Beautiful. So I think um, while, uh, as a start, why don't we go over your journey? So if you can walk us through uh, what brought you to here and your background, that will really help uh, us understand where you're coming from. Look, uh, data has been kind of the light model for my last probably 10, 15 years, but reality has always been there, right? Because since I've been starting in my IT career, there was this data thing There was, in the past, it was always seen as part and parcel of the IT world, but um, more recently um, came to be something different. And for me, the key, there are two key moments I can, uh, t- I can give you in which I realize that something more different and I want to do something different from just being an IT guy. I, I love to be an IT guy. I had to recycle myself from an engineer to an IT guy because there were some little jobs going on uh, at the time I came out of university. But I came out of university with an essay on uh, optimization. So mm. my, my, my thesis was um, optimizing the weight of a structure, and an airframe, because I'm an aeronautics. So you have, imagine an airframe, and I was using an algorithm that was called the sending gradient algorithm, which is in the mm. data science, is kind of a one-on-one of your uh, mm. minimizing the the your uh, the the, the uh, your um, your error uh, function. So, um, you know, data science has been there for a while. Just that's a that's an incidental. Uh, but in in, uh, in my career in GE, there are as I was saying, two moments. One is Basel. Basel for banks has been a big exercise and. Uh, I was in 2006 uh, helping my risk director to implement Basel across Europe. And for me, going around and doing, we were having a tool and the ambition, like every every time in GE, the ambition is to centralize, standardize, making cheaper, faster, better. And so the idea was to take, to go all around the different banks in Europe and get their data, put this data in the tool and having the tool producing the Basel report. For the ones that don't know, Basel is pretty hungry exercise in terms of data because the Mm. the idea is that you tell me how you look like from a product and customer point of view and i will tell you there will be a formula that will tell you how much capital you need to hold from a regulatory point of view that's in basel in in 15 Mm. words Uh, of course it's more complex than that Mm. but the reality is that 
you need really to ingest a lot of data to produce that number. And for me, at that moment was the first moment in my life at work in which I realized the importance of, you know, eliciting requirements. Because mm. when I was going around and mapping, so basically I was asking people to tell me where this thing I was searching was in their, in their environment. And it was incredibly critical to find the real expert with the capital E because mm. you would have known that the mapping you'd done wasn't the right one probably six months after when you were starting to churn the first data. And you will have then to go back and, and fix. And quality, data quality became you know, a paramount importance because you, you can give me the right thing, but it's, if the right thing is a column of you know something that is 50% complete, I can't mm. produce the number anyway. Mm. So all these things, Basel was really my baptism of fire. Um, in terms of um, data. But after that, I became the BI leader for um, G Capital EMEA. So mm. I was sitting in at the center in a little HQ and um, we were doing dashboards. We were producing reports. We were producing um, things that people in the business will use for uh, making decisions. And we were working night and day to create these fantastic things. And... Um, a lot of these fantastic things were going all the way down to 99% completion and about to be rolled out. But then the business was coming in and saying, oh, but this is wrong. Mm. So we were looking at each other and said, okay, so what do you want me to do? <laughs> so, and um, the one critical, I remember, I still remember one, uh, probably almost cost me my job. Uh, it was this mega super dashboard we're doing and in which a person from a business in France mm. couldn't agree with the person from a business in UK, the definition of the thing that was supposed to fit and land into the dashboard. And we've been ping-ponging between these two people for four months while my boss was shouting me and said, why, why this bloody thing is not live yet? Mm. Because I couldn't find a referee of the definition. So when I, a few years below, beyond, uh, below let's say, Downstream, I saw the job description of what G was trying to put in place because we were supposed to be regulated by the Federal Reserve. Mm. The Federal Reserve is pretty, pretty high on, on data. Mm. After the crisis in 2008, they spent hundreds of millions to create a very, very comprehensive data environment because uh, my, my belief is that nobody wants to sit in front of the next president saying, sorry, I didn't see this one coming either. Mm. Right, so the idea is through the data I will predict the future, or at least I will have a margin of an understanding in terms of time that something is going wrong. Mm. So the amount of data you need to provide the Federal Reserve if you are a bank is a lot. Um, so when when G put together these data jobs and these first data jobs landed in front of my eyes, mm. I, all those boxes I was having open in my head uh, through the Basel exercise, the my BI exercise, previous six. Um, um, experiences in in IT, all those boxes were ticked. So mm. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a chief data officer. And uh, but I knew also that because of the experience as a BI leader, that the chief data officer cannot be a technology, an IT person. Mm. Majority of business, not not everywhere. In some businesses, you can be a data person within IT. But in majority of businesses, the way IT has been dealing with business is actually seen as something different. Mm. Something that is the custodian of data rather than the fixer and the implementer or the definer of data. So 
I knew that I had to do this from a business point of view. So I left IT and uh, I started my career in uh, data, which is something in between. So that's that's where I come from. Interesting. Um, and thank you so much, Roberto, for, for walking me through that. So I think one thing that I find really fascinating about your background, and, and I think uh, whenever I read international and data governance in the same sort of description, the whole sort of Pandora box of issues opens up, right? So, and you're talking about this this negotiation between, uh, in, in your uh, use case, where two sort of countries are not negotiating, uh, not uh, coming to accord on what's the legal definition of, of an entity, right? How do you come, how do you console these sort of things? Like, what are some of the best practices you could share as, as, a, as a data steward or as a data leader that, that if you are running a transnational company, which has sort of like each sort of their, their own uh, government peripheries and sort of their, 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 their regulations. And then, then you talk about something like Basel, where you have to be really data savvy and understanding each and every grain of interaction to actually with some comfort uh, suggest something. So what are some of the things you could share? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Okay, so let's start from uh, the typical discussion, federation before and centralization, right? Mm. So, I mean, they people will come into a job and say, oh, we need to centralize everything. Oh, we need to. Mm. Unfortunately, most of our companies, even if they're in the same country, are heavily federated. And the federation is due to a natural human habit of, I want to know and I want to control what is the environment that is mm. supposed to deliver my goals, right? So I want to have an understanding and I create an environment that is actually a reflection of my personality or my character, my habits. Mm. So naturally you will create tribes. Now these mm. tribes are there and it's been like that since the beginning of times. And in, in a normal uh, you know, corporation world uh, and the tribes are the silos or are the markets. So they are culturally centric pieces of subset of the organization that have in their own culture, their own traditions, their own things. And I'm not by chance mentioned making a an association between the culture of people and the dynamic of our corporation because the main thing you have in common in a culture, what is it? Mm. Language, mm. right? And data is the language we use. So if you want to have a common language, you need to become, you need to achieve a common culture. And everything starts with the meaning of things. Because as I was saying before, my, my spark in my head of mapping was, I go around asking the simple question, tell me where this is. Mm. And someone will answer, this is it. It's mm. there. Mm. And it's in this form and it's in this status and it's in this quality. So, but understanding data is simply understanding who you are as a company from a data point of view. And understanding who you are means that you have to define things. You have to go around and name things, right? So when you try to do the, when you look at centralization, federation, I mean, there are, unfortunately, there are things that are, you know, beyond the realm of your uh, 
um, let's say, um, the, 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 is in the fringe of the things you can influence. You can't just be, as a CDO, you can't decide that, you know, from tomorrow, we're not going to have markets anymore. Hmm. Uh, we, we can have one data lake for everyone. Hmm. Everyone will swim in the data lake. That's hmm. impossible. Hmm. Right? So you, and, and the impossibility of, of this will cre create the fact that data is still a craft. Hmm. It's an artisan kind of thing. Because I have to create a bespoke kind of a, you know, suit for wherever I go. I can't just go with a, okay, this is the template, and you apply the template. You can apply methodologies. You can apply, you know, paradigms. But the reality of to create something that works for the company in which you are. And every company is different to you. So closing the loop, the my experience as a steward is, first, don't focus too much on centralizing the data. Mm. Focus on centralizing the knowledge about the data. That's the most important thing. Mm. And uh, GDPR was, and we're going to discuss later about GDPR. But GDPR was the, the, the one of the key moments in which I realized that if you have knowledge of where the data is at any point in time, at any point in space, who's owning it, where it goes, you win whatever regulation regulatory challenge on earth, because. Find me a regulation that doesn't ask you for data. Mm. So if you, if you stay on that one, so the experience is that you need to create a sort of a virtuous circle of data. In your companies, there are myriad of consumers of data and providers of data. There are myriad of and, and today, they are very much in a one-to-one -one or a many-to-many -many relationship. So one consumer will ask many providers, and one provider will probably provide mm. to many consumers. Right? That's, that's the web of things we have. And we can put our hands in the sand and thinking it's not there, but it is mm. there. And today, what you want to do is to remove the subjectivity of what is asked and what is provided. That's what is killing us. If someone comes and asks for this, mm. but this is not exactly the this someone else asked and is asked in the same way, and the provider is providing it to two different people with two different requirements, thinking it's the same thing, but it's not. That's the mother of all problems. I mean, 99% of the problems we're having is in the ambiguity of meanings. So mm. what you need to do is to create a, a third pole, which is what people will call stewards, sponsors, owners, call it what you want. But there is someone that is interjecting this flow of data between provider and consumer, mm. and is making that a standard requirement. So what you want, Mr. Consumer, you want this is called customer name, right? And it's got as long maximum 50 characters and is using, you know, whatever ASCII table and you can use all special characters. All, all, you can, you can mm. scroll down all the and uh, enunciate all the rules that the consumer want that. Well, the owner, the steward or the sponsor is there responsible to say, no, no, no. This company wants to define that thing you're asking mm. to Mr. Provider this way. And this is the way we do it across all the company. That's how you create the circle of data in which there is a requirement that goes into the provider or into the sponsor or owner is actually cleansed and is added on standards and goes back to the provider. And the provider is providing data mm. according to those standards. It's difficult, but the way I see it, in my experience, there is no real big alternatives mm. because either you live with a many-to-many -many 
relationship between provider and consumer, you will never know mm. if you're answering and, and if you're asking and answering questions in the way the enterprise wants, or I don't know what else to do. So that's the experience in uh, creating the right environment for managing data. And of course, between consumers, you can put all the scientists in the world. Mm. There are consumers who they want things. And uh, most of these guys are actually self-producers because they, mm. <laughs> they go mm. and find things by themselves and they do whatever they want with that. Right. And I believe that one of the issues we find in scaling data science projects is that mm. we've been experimenting too much, mm. but then we smash our head in front of a wall of, I can't scale this because now what I found as an answer is not valid in the bigger world of my enterprise. It's only valid in my little sandbox because I didn't align the meanings. Interesting. Interesting. Makes sense. Yeah. No, I think, and and thank you so much for walking us through. I think that's that's really, really useful. And other thing that I, that, uh, I find fascinating about your, your background, I think this is the first, uh, you're one of the first guests that we have who is from Europe. And just after the, the the GDPR thing happened, and you have, uh, and you have a stake in that. So, uh, why don't you walk us through? I was, uh, on the, just want to say that on the twenty fifth of May, I was actually I'm, I'm out of a job now. I was saving, right? So, it was, <laughs> wasn't my worries. <laughs> no, but yes, you have you have uh, you have been through uh, sort of uh, one of the. Yes, so absolutely. that was, absolutely. I think that that was fascinating. So why did you walk us through that journey? Like what, how as a data, again, as a data, data sort of executive, you, you decipher something like GDPR and sort of connect and, and comply uh, your organization to it. Like what are some of the mindset that goes into it? Well, I, I think I had the luxury to having gone through, uh, to have gone through SOCs. Mm. And for people in US, SOX will be very, very mm. you know, familiar. And I think SOX was the a train we missed, mm. regulators and practitioners, in being better at it. We missed it. Because if we had done SOX properly, mm. GDPR would have been a breezier. Because it, it, all the controls and all the stuff that you need are already there. Mm. I mean, privacy by design in SOX is the, the SOX impact analysis. Mm. Right, but Sox has been focusing too much on processes and not enough on data. Mm. Right? Because the idea or the assumption was, if I have the right process, it will deliver the right data. Right. So in theory, I have a, it's like having a pipe, mm. and I don't care what goes into the pipe I, as long as the pipe is not leaking. I know something. The same mm. quantity of things will go in from here and there. Mm. So the number mm. I provide to my, you know, shareholders and the, the public would be good. I have some, but I had the luxury to go through that, and I had the luxury of forging my mind in the recess, deep recesses of doing socks day in day out, which was mm. a pain. And socks was something I had to do on top of the other things. And then one day I realized that, hang on a second, why don't we make socks part of what we do every day? Mm. So we have a control framework. Why don't we just map the controls that we have in our framework to the socks controls? So when we do this thing every day. At the end of our, uh, you know, cycle, we mm. just had to pick the controls, access control. We were doing access control anyway. Mm. Why do you want to do access control for SOX spe specifically? Right? So that was the, the thing that allowed me to go into the GDPR with a different optics. Because for mm. me, GDPR was already, I, this is important, and actually it's been around for 20 years already. Mm. I mean, the, the essence mm. of it, and uh, the first data privacy regulation is 1994. 
the first book that was talking about the impact of privacy on privacy of you know automated processing and it was wrote, written by the, a guy that was managing the privacy entity in Italy in 1993 mm. so i mean this is all new again it just would been uh, believing and approaching this in a regulatory way and mm. the regulatory way is that i do my business and i do my i solve my problems and then i do regulation the reality is the people in the business in the industry that approach gdpr the right way they've been doing gdpr while they were doing their business so they've been mm. adapting the business processes in a way that you manage to achieve compliance by outcome are you still with me yeah interesting so uh, gdpr is uh, i always said after the 25th of may gdpr will stop to be general data privacy regulation it will become mm. good data produces revenue because that's now a different the way of doing business is the way in which you respect the data you are a custodian of and you can provide access you can provide transparency of what you do mm. it's now a condition to do business and um, the sooner you people understand the better because that will allow people to realize that maturity in the way i do data allows me also to answer regulatory questions in a much cost efficient mm. way interesting so i think that my change agenda in my change agenda i have to understand what comes in in terms of regulation and i need to decode my regulation in terms of capabilities i need to embed in my change agenda so i'm not going to build at the end in a heist because the regulation is about to arrive in three months, something that is a monster and I will mm. need to feed till I die, right? It's something that will change my business. And then the motto in G was, we do this not because of a regulator, but because we want to be a better business. And mm. data, good data is a good business case, good business practice, so. Interesting. And, and, and what's, your, what's your take on um, uh, its impact? Like what? What do you like from? Because you have been through it. So, what are some of your thoughts on what GDP GDPR is trying to achieve? How would they achieve it? And what's your take on that? Well, let's say GDPR is a, a reminder, hmm. and it's the last train in a way, right? You don't, you can't miss this one uh, because GDPR is just telling you, you know, all those good things you should have done in the last ten years. Hmm. Well, you know what, you should have. I mean, good data quality, yeah, it's important because it will impair any DSRs, any data subject access request you're going to do. Because if, you, if your customer base is not good and a customer comes to you and says, can you tell me all the data you have about me mm. and uh, the email that you have on record is the wrong one, you actually have an immediate breach because you're going to send something to mm. someone mm. that is not the customer asking. So... Uh, record retention is now paramount. Uh, mm. We were possibly in the past, we were teasing the people who were appointed as record retention leaders of project because that was a little bit like, you know, being appointed as a strategic project it was like the end of your career being becoming the record manager. I mean, I have absolute respect for all the record managers in the world. But reality is that GDPR now is kind of the fairy godmother that mm. kissed Cinderella record manager and a Cinderella medical manager has become a fantastic princess which is mm. gonna save you if you do it properly if you don't do it properly it will actually destroy you <laughs> so <laughs> there are, there are, there are, the impact is 
back to basics. So mm. there are some fundamentals that in data that are absolutely the fundamentals. And GDPR is reminding you that metadata is absolutely important mm. because, as I was saying before, if you know where your data is at any point in time, who's using it, under what circumstances, what standard, you are on a winner. Mm. Access control is the one-on-one of creating a good security environment. And you combine that with metadata. So you don't only know what data, where, but you know who's accessing data, right? And data classification is incredibly important because combined with the other three, you know that someone has got access to that data because that data is classified in a way that is entitled to have access to that. Hmm. Right? And classification will drive record retention. So the fundamentals are always been there. We always knew that. Mm. We've been a little bit reluctant to bind the bullet and say, you know what, we really need to do this right. And uh, that's the impact. The impact is just we need to do this right now. And there will be some patience from the regulators, but I think patience will run very thin, mm. very fast. Mm. If the regulators realize that this is another attempt to comply with the regulation without ticking the box exercise. This is a change of lifestyle. If people didn't understand it yet, they need to. Interesting. And I think one thing that, that I've captured from uh, uh, some of the friends in US, uh, uh, their chief data officers, and, and their perspective is, it has, it has, they are thanking GDPR in some ways. So they're, they're saying now my IT guy at least pick my phone call. Now they comply with my request of, uh, hey, where and what is happening where and they're sort of just saying okay i'll help you because you will be, you will be the guy probably that help us through through this kiosk what has been sort of your observation is, is, is that true that as 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 a, as a data steward like it, it is gdpr actually is helping you uh in in as you said creating a, a knowledge archive of where the data sources and what is happening so that you have a better understanding or the company has a better understanding of their data like what's your take on that it's a big self-awareness um, wake up call. So I, I was mentioning before that data, I, I believe in what Socrates was saying. Yes, mm. and Socrates was saying, know thyself. Right? Mm. That's important because um, people that want to be data driven, right? And mm. they, why they want to be data driven? Because data will allow you precision mm. and optimization of resources and what to do, right? Because if I'm data driven, I can target my strategy to the millimeter and not wasting money and achieve the outcome. Mm. But the starting point of that is knowing where you are. <laughs> so if you don't know where you are from a data point of view, you don't know your posture, you don't know if you are standing on a nice playing field or if you're one step from the brink. Mm. So that GDPR is simply telling you, you need to be aware of who you are from a data customer data point of view, but I will stretch it to say all the important data you have in the company, and there is a lot more than customer data in the company is important. And once you are aware of that, it's a big, you know, leap. In a, and then people realize that the the force multiplier you obtain and achieving things faster and better doing that is invaluable. I mean, can you imagine? What's the first thing you do in a big change program nowadays? What is the first thing you do? It's called the Aziz. So mm. you go and find the Aziz, right? And what is the Aziz? Mm. The Aziz, the length of your first phase of a project 
is the measure of how ignorant you are about who you are from a data point of view. Mm. Because the Aziz of a project should be something you go open your metadata repository mm. and you say, okay, what do you want to change? This. Okay, this is that. And it's this way. And so you know immediately what you need to do. No, instead, nowadays, you need to send out in your company legions of contractors that will work for six months to find out what is it and how you look like. And we'll put that in an Excel and a PowerPoint that on a Visio hmm. that will last the time <laughs> of the project and it will be then thrown away. So imagine you are complying with GDPR in a wider sense with your data. So your Aziz is not lasting six months and employing millions of money, millions of dollars spent in contractors. It's actually an exercise of checking mm. a repository. How much better and much faster and much more reliable is that? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. Interesting. So I think, and thank you so much, by the way, uh, walking us through that. So another interesting thing that that, that I, have, I have seen, um, so you are from GE and GE is very industrial uh, manufacturing, ginormous company massive to do with IoT, that, 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 that keyword really impact that company. So now uh, almost even even banking is no different. Like they all are using this IoT sort of lot of um, IoT interacting with each other and sort of generating a lot of data that we, had, we don't have a good way to classify. And then some of, some of them sort of are just sitting somewhere in logs and what and what not. How has GDPR made that life uh, a bit neurotic, like from your perspective, that uh, if, if, if you are a company that deals with a lot of these IoT um, in infrastructure, how is GDPR? Yeah. Yeah, GDP, IoT is, and by the way, I, I think there's plenty of IoT happening in banks because mm, if yeah. IoT is connecting sensors and devices on the network. And mm. you know, banks have been doing that for a while now. <laughs> That's and true. Actually, even more interesting, uh, part of our Lloyd's uh, is insurance. Hmm. And in the insurance, hmm. there is even a bigger play between the physical world of sensors and the data world of outcome and the delivering of service and insight. So it's a massive thing. And um, the issue with, the, with IoT is an issue of transparency. Hmm. Uh, because I can have the black box you know, running on mm. my car and collecting all the data about the way I drive. And then there is a little model that decides on the edge to calculate the add-on on my premium because I've been a bit naughty uh, in the last two weeks. All right, and that's fine. It's absolutely fine. But, I mean, first of all, this kind of a flow data has to be secure. Mm. Because my, the way I drive, the, way, the places I go mm. is not something I might be very interested in in, in being you know, diffused on the internet, right? Mm. <laughs> so, so I need yeah. to trust that. Secondly, I need to trust that although I might, you might want to keep your IP on the way you calculate my premium because that's IP of mm. a company, you need to be transparent in saying that the feature you're going to decide to keep pick are this type of feature, right? Because you need to be transparent. And 
GDPR is explicit about that. So mm. in case there is some adverse outcome in your regards because of some automated decision, you have the right to have a human explain explain you why. Mm. And in not explain you why, meaning this number went into this formula mm. and it became this other number, and I then I ranked you and I calibrated you, and then that's why you were 0 0.03. No, it's more like how transparently you can explain to me how this thing works without telling me the cogs and all the cogs and all the bits of an engine, but you need to tell me that if I do this type of behavior, then I might have that type of outcome. And that's why GDPR is probably pushing a little bit because in the past years of a creation of modeling and uh, you know creation of all, you know, ever complex, more complex and more uh, you know, feature-rich uh, algorithm, Probably there are we're approaching the you know the what do you call it the is the uh, the singularity in which mm. the algorithm that writes algorithm mm. and creates this this thing that cannot be explained anymore. So a complex system that cannot be explained is something that will go against the trust that people right. have to right. have in in what you do for providing them a service. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but for me. Mm. It's all connected to the fact that now we're going to gather data speed. Uh, gather data at, at speed is not even <laughs> so. The velocity is exponential because the more sensor, the more uh, you know, the better the network. The and the 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 the, the, the ampler is the, the the set of things you're collecting. You, you'll find yourself that you you're not even drinking for a fire from a fire hose. You're right. sniffing from a, from an afterburner. If I can use mm. a metaphor from my mm. background, that mm. so. But you need to you need to remember that at the end of what we do, there's always a consumer of data, mm. a, a human. Alexa is not able to make a emotional choice. Mm. Alexa will not decide which song to play because Alexa will like it. Right? Mm. Alexa will do that based on our a perceived emotion or a feature. So at the end of what we do, there's always a human. And whenever GDPR is trying to put at the, the center of this, the fact that the human privacy is a right. Mm. It's sanctioned by the fundamental charter of human rights in the European community. I'm pretty sure that outside the European community, sooner or later, something mm. similar will emerge after mm. Cambridge Analytica, you bet. Right. So and article that's Article 8 of the mm. Fundamental Charter. And Article mm. 9, so two articles after, you have freedom of speech and freedom of religion. So it's pretty mm. well playing with stuff that is pretty important. Mm. So IoT is just creating a more complex system, a more distributed system that we need to be really aware and need to be able to describe and to translate to someone. Interesting. Interesting. No, I think that's that, that's really well relevant. And, and again, thank you for walking us through that. And I, actually, I was conversing with someone um, sort of about the AI and, and sort of uh, and another area where I see sort of this murky, murky line. So sure, IoT, in IoT construct, so you sh the vendor owns some of the data, they know how it's produced. And as a business, I may or may not need everything, but still the sensors are capturing some things. And I need like it's it's a data exhaust problem, right? And and on on the other side, if if you look at AI, so one of the things that that I was discussing with one of the executive here, here locally, is that um, so today there's a shadow IT, right? So IT no ID owns data, ID understands the data silos if at all, and then you have the shadow group saying, okay, 
let's do a shadow IT. And even in that shadow, now there's a shadow AI, right? So I have got two business folks. They say, okay, let's pick a third party, third box AI, and let it uh, flounder around the data and, and consumer data in my silo and see what comes out of it. Now, the more sort of you go into this shadow IT, you lose a track, you just lose some sight on what kind of data is monitored, monitored by the company and, and getting that, that holistic picture. Now you're talking about an AI that's again living in its shadow. How would sort of, so that's that's one side of your business, right? That's, that's sort of going in that direction. And the other side is saying, hey, you should not have data exhaust. You should exactly know where it's like, at, at least you should, you should have a turbo system or whatever, uh, where you are monitoring all the exhaust and you know what the hell is going on. So what's, what's your take on that? Like, how do you uh, make peace with this shadow IT phenomenas and something like consumer privacy uh, initiatives? Right, so, and here's where the word governance has hmm. to come in. But has to come in in a different way that has been, uh, you know, triggered up until today. Governance up until today has always been the parallel process of mm. people that go in, coming out of the process and to check something. Oh, I'm doing something and then I go and tick something. So there is this continuous difference of planes in which things are happening. Mm. And that creates the need for people sometimes to, you know, let's say be more creative or you want to use more agile <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, some someone is pushing for uh, results and uh, there you go, get some money. Don't talk to the IT guys. Don't talk to the data scientists. We'll, we know, we go, I have this friend that does this fantastic thing. He's got a tool. Let's bring it in. Do mm. a quick POC. And all of a sudden, the POC becomes a bit mm. more than a POC. Mm. And it becomes, uh, and then the POC is all of a sudden, it's got a team of 20 on the POC. Mm. And it's been mm. running for six months. And by definition, it's not a, POC anymore, mm. but it's a carcinogenic cell. It's something that's actually growing right. within the organization, absorbing more and more resources, and like shadow IT eventually mm. would kill mm. it. Right? So that's the, that's what happens. It becomes mm. becomes unsustainable because they are outside of a change kind of process. So they are outside of the supply chains. They are outside of anything outside of governance because again, governance is in a different plane. Mm. And what you have is you are creating something that you can't control anymore and you can't scale because all of these things will get to a point in which they can't inflate more than they can and either they start to cannibalize other parts of the business. Mm. If you think about it, it's literally working like cancer. So, so it's exactly the same mechanism. So how you deal with that? Well, on the shadow IT side, one of the benefits moving from IT into data mm. was... I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn where you're running things. You want to do it on Excel? It's fine. Mm. You want to mm. do it on uh, AWS? It's fine. I don't care. Mm. But, but, going back to the standards and the circle of data, right? mm. if this piece of data is very important for the organization, you might want to, with, as to, you know, be kept according mm. to certain standards. So you want to keep it on Excel? It's fine. But then, if your Excel is becoming all of a sudden a source of data mm. for the organization, then that Excel has to withstand some few hygiene factors. You have to have a disaster recovery. I want to see procedures. You have to have a user access control. You have to have a backup. So all of a sudden, you make the choice of Excel unpalatable for people. But 
that's where, I mean, the enforcement of this type of a approach is where usually you measure the strength of mm. the commitment from above. Because I can only be as good as the moment in which someone from above, when I go and say, such and such is not, you know, fulfilling, is not meeting the standards for very importantly for your company. Hmm. And if the answer from above, I said, all right, never mind, they're giving me the data anyway, then I'm dead. Right? I'm really dead. So you, you want to do this right and you, want, you have the tools to do it right. But if the commitment from above is not solid and is not the, you know, I've been doing a few interviews recently because I'm, I'm such a, I'm, I'm in, uh, I'm actually finalizing my next place. Mm. And um, in one of the interviews, the guy was asking me, um, what kind of a, I, I was asking the, I was asking this guy, um, what is going to be the single action you're going to put in place personally to make this role successful? Mm. The person said, I really don't know. Mm. Uh, so, uh, then I said, okay, so I'm, I'm making things simple for you. Uh, you might be having more interviews with other people like me. So if someone else like me were ask you the same question, the answer is, I'm going to sit with you mm. in all the tough conversation you want me to sit in. And I will be, you know, giving you air cover because doing data is all about having tough conversation. And aligning, mm. aligning meanings, and it's a clash of culture. Remember what we saying about cultural language? Mm. So clash of culture is painful. And if you don't have that determination, you don't get there. But going back to the governance bit, mm. we need to move from a governance that is offline to governance that is in line. So, and now we have a chance with all the robotics, all the you know, AI, the machine learning, we actually can use machine learning to control machine learning and to mm. control what happens mm. in our environment. So the governance for me is a something new that has to be embedded in the way you do business so that it's like in the matrix. You've seen the film? Mm. So you don't perceive that you are confined in the governance, mm. but you're, making, you're, you're moving in what it feels to you, free space. But that, fa- that space mm. is actually bringing you to the natural move from you which actually is the move that fulfills the meaning or the or the 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 purpose of the governance i'm trying to implement so if you are instead of uh, getting away from your process and then ticking a box somewhere in a in a workflow and excel what happens from a governance point of view is designed within the process it's designed Mm. within the way you do artificial intelligence it's designed within the way you you deploy sensors and you you have uh, edge computing whatever so if that that the governance if it's not inside the process in the supply chain it's not going to have a chance to deliver what we need and from an ai shadow point of view again can you really be like the, it's like being the guy in a tiananmen square with a hand in mm. front of a, the tanks so you're much better off stepping on the side and attaching on the dan- tanks a nice tile that it's giving you the positioning and the speed of the tank, and you're going to be fine. So mm. as long as you, know, again, centralize the knowledge, centralize the understanding of the knowledge and what is as governance around your estate will simplify the way you can look at things and control things. Because going out with an edict that say nobody will do artificial intelligence if not in this environment and with these tools, mm. it's like mm. squeezing gas with a colander. 
sorry, I'm using too metaphor, <laughs> metaphor, but but you you can't you can't do that, right? So there is there is an element of well, what you what you can do, and um, and something that I, I wasn't the one talking about. My my good friend Mike Hyde from Skype, and now he is in Facebook looking after their um, Connect. Is there not? There's a tool that in, in uh, Facebook. There's like a internal. Uh, social, social media that Facebook is launching. I don't remember the name, but um, okay. it's quite, it's quite a, a new product for them. So he was saying that you need to create a conveyor belt between your experimentation and your uh, life, lab to life, right? So you can do experiments wherever you want, wherever you want, whatever, but there are targets at which your degrees of freedom are restricted to a point that we can actually operationalize what you're doing. Because if you do this fantastic experiment that works only in your lab, but not mm. in life, in real life. It's completely fine. You're wasting time and money. Interesting. And I think uh, other areas sort of, I, I was thinking about it. Um, and right now we know we're going through disruption in many of the technology landscape, whether you call it any data platform that you use, whether you call it any sensor that you use, whether you call it any any model that you use, almost everything is going through its S-curve disruption. So it's a lot of changes happening around it. And then um, as, as, as a data sort of officer, uh, you are tasked to sort of, again, um, have a very closure on the knowledge of data, what's happening, where it's happening, at least some understanding of what's what's going on. How how do you sort of um, console these two sides of you? Like one side is again going very innovative. It's it's going it's going its disruption. The platform that you're assuming that you know might change maybe tomorrow and maybe in with next release. And on the other side, many of the technologies that you're relying on um, is going its own sort of shake up in its in its own in its own construct. So, as a, how will you then sort of create this this sort of uh, conver converges sort of uh, data converged uh, landscape to help business comply with these sort of privacy frameworks? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. That's where, I mean, this is a bit of a schizophrenia that's been affecting CIOs as well in the past, right? Because mm. you are dealing with disruption and you're dealing with legacy. I mean, mm. in a way, instead, I'm dealing with data debt, the way mm. I, I call it mm. debt. So it's having mm. bad in data that's been built um, over the years is the debt that I'm trying to, how do I prepay this debt and mm. at the same time invest in a new house? So how do I do that? So, and that's, that's the, the, the most interesting thing you can do because the, and that's where probably a bit of any, you know, maturity assessment that everyone mm. is doing uh, can help. So if you do a good, un a good assessment of what mm. is the state of your data and mm. you do, you ask the right question, you validate the questions, and you get to a good understanding of what's the maturity, right? You need to overlay because then people don't do the second bit, which is overlaying the business strategy on that. So mm. if this is what I am, and this is what I want to become, so where is that I have to work the fastest, the most? And mm. what is that I can actually negotiate or compromise on in terms of uh, keeping it as is? And they're going to be. It is going to be evident um, when when you're looking at this with this lens that there are places in which you can't leave with 
the legacy. You can't live with the way you've been doing things. You need to change. You need to bring some disruption. And one big add-on of the job of shifted officers these days is joint ventures. Mm. Because we can't do everything inside. We can't have we don't have the time to learn inside. So partnerships is something that more and more shifted officers will need to do and do well. And we're not equipped to do well. We have already too many hats to wear. And adding an also the hat of a kind of a CEO or a joint venture is mm. it's a tall order. But it's essential because there are so many things out there that are so good and you can bring in. But you need to have the paradigms and the the, uh, the the template to bring them in and work them well. So your data nowadays doesn't stop at your boundaries. Your data will go into, you mentioned before, your suppliers, mm. your vendors, your customer. You need to think about an ecosystem. In an mm. ecosystem, you need to find the right partnerships to bolt on what you're doing and help you to mature faster. In fact, uh, another metaphor I've been using, because I'm using a lot of metaphor, because mm. I'm actually anchoring concepts mm. in Right. I'm your data personal trainer. Mm. You tell me you want to do marathon, there is a regime for that. Mm. Business. You tell me you want to do 100 meters, there's another regime for that. Mm. So that's where you read your assessment. It's like you come, I weigh you, I put you, I check your height, I take your blood pressure, and then you say, you, say, you want to run a marathon? The way you are today, you can't run any marathon, mm. right? So you Maybe you'll do an half a marathon or a quarter a marathon, and then we think about a marathon. So, and then you will, you will understand the areas in which you have to work for first. And um, the same thing in AI. And there are companies that today probably can't handle proper AI. Hmm. Cannot, because you bring a data science team in, and this would be alien to everyone else. Hmm. They will talk to people, and they will say, look what I've done. And people will say, what is this? Right. Something I've done with random forests, and people say, I don't like to do things mm. randomly. I like to mm. do things properly. So there is a cash, again, cultural barrier. You bring another tribe between the other, a new tribe between the other tribes, how you connect these tribes. So interesting. The, so that, that's a bit the, the way I will approach. You need to have an assessment with, from a maturity point of view and overlay the business strategy, understand where are the gaps you need to work first and deal with the fact that you have a debt of data that sooner or later we need to repay. You mm. can't keep on doing projects, putting data on a side. So, oh, this is data quality we're going to do in the BAU. Guess what? The BAU, you never do. Mm. It will never happen. Interesting. So, so I think data debt is a very interesting concept. And I think that's, and thank you for, I'll, I'll probably use it in, in my sort of conversation as well. Very cleverly done. So, uh, do you think that means that uh, whenever you have debt, you you have insurance somehow? So, so do you think that eventually data science will start seeing, or at least um, this insurance product, especially targeted toward these uh, cracks that that you don't have access to, and you you have not really gone through paying that debt yet? What what's your take on that? Oh. Uh... I don't know, frankly, because that's um, that's a, that's an all different business game. That um, mm. there are a few products that I think would be very disruptive in the area of what we do, and uh, definitely that, that can be one of those. For mm. me, I personally, data debt is a simply an indicator. It's, mm. It should give me, like in projects, you have NPV or RIRR, mm. IRR, 
Um, mm. And um, in theory, if you do a, a rough calculation, at least you should know if the, the change you're bringing in is mm. making your data debt bigger or smaller. Mm. Right? It's a bit like what you do with uh, tech, technological debt, right? But this is really about how bad is the data I've been accumulating for years. Mm. So, and uh, in theory, any project that is about, you know, removing data that is a liability now because it's over-retained should give you a lift from a data debt because it's true. I mean, it, there's stuff in our uh, tables, computers, and, and servers, and backups we really don't need. So another thing could be hire a chief destructure, destruction officer. Someone mm. goes around and just is shredding everything <laughs> that doesn't need. It's not needed. Right. So, yeah, it's another CDO. It's a destruction <laughs> officer. <laughs> That's a that's a very clever. Uh, I, I like the idea, by the way. I think it's a lot of lot of uh, my cheap data friends. Uh, they would have a chuckle with this. I think it's it's a definitely a very clever idea. So but the reality is, if you over retain data, it's bad for you. It's very right. bad for you. That's <laughs> so. I, I think so. Some of the opportunities, like in 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 your sort of engagement um, with through this. Uh, sort of privacy frameworks. What do you see are some of the some of the big ginormous opportunities for any new entrant coming in? Like, what is, what do you see some of the holes in in your deployment so far, and sort of in your understanding of uh, the security frameworks? Well, there is a there is a um, I think one big opportunity I see from a customer point of view, and today there is an imbalance between the the artificial intelligence it can you know a corporation can bring to bear on data and the intelligence that the customer has got at their fingertips mm. i mean you have all the apps and you can classify your uh, you know can find your uh, your daughters in uh, in pictures but reality is mm. when you go down to privacy i haven't got something that will tell me who am i from a digital point of view so because it's like the data I'm sending out is I'm, I'm, I'm all looking from the back and it's mm. opaque. I don't see. Once I put something on LinkedIn, I don't know it's there. Right? Mm. Once I about to put something on Facebook, I don't know it's there. Mm. Strangely enough, searches, have you noticed that? Search tools in this social media, they're not incredibly forthcoming. Mm. Yeah. So you can't do proper search. Can you? <laughs> you wonder why. <laughs> so... <laughs> so the, the, the point is, I, I think there's a, what, a company that responsibly wants to, you know, help their customers probably mm. will try to balance a little bit that disparity and start mm. to say, look, I'm also providing you with tools that will allow you to know who you are in a simple way, right? Because I, I would love to have something that will scar my Facebook, my, you know, mm. LinkedIn, my whatever, whatever social media. And tells me, and I can have a mega noble that says, I want to be very conservative or very non-very conservative, and all my settings are actually dealt consistently. Hmm. That kind of thing. If you think about it, I might be, you know, scaring early on, on Facebook because I'm, I'm all locked down, and then hmm. on my LinkedIn, everything is, is public. And that's mm. actually, again, it's schizophrenia from a social right. point of view. So, so there, there, there's kind of a, there has to be some type of a, 
it's all about transparency and ethics. I think that the hmm. big miss today is think a lot about transparency and ethics. And the hmm. second big miss is think thoroughly about change and how change affects you. Hmm. I think we were discussing before this that GDPR is forcing you to do privacy by design. And I think hmm. we need to move to everything by design hmm. because the change process is inevitable, has to happen because otherwise you die as a business. But you need to find a way to do it in a thorough way, a thorough design of, and a thorough business impact analysis. And again, back to your fundamental, if you have good data classification, good metadata, excellent metadata, mm. you can do very quick business impact analysis. Hence, you can build a change that will be more sustainable, more uh, used, more, uh, you know, more efficient. So that's the, the bit of change. I've been a bit paranoid about this since I started to do in chief data officer kind of job because mm. previously it's hit me hard when I was doing IT. So mm. I came into this job and I was the one talking about change and everyone was looking at, well, well we're just doing projects. <laughs> why, why you want so why? Why? Because there's only taking one guy asking the friend in IT mm. to add in the list of value ABC, the D, to destroy everything you've done in your little supply chain. And that change will fly under every radar of our uh, process of a change approval board. And so. so we need to, again, machine learning at volume and speed in change mm. is important. I need to have a piece of a, a, a project brief and I need mm. to have an algorithm that will sniff it and say, this project will affect you there. Mm. <laughs> light, up, light up in my metadata where it's going to happen um, some problem. So you need to get to the point. Interesting. Wow. I think that's, that's pretty cool. So uh, with that, I think Nobuto, th thank you so much for, for uh, helping us understand this very critical component. And we're almost at the, at the tail end of the conversation. I, I want to spend some few minutes on your journey. And and I think um, uh, it, if you can walk us through, so in your journey, what are some of the tenets of your success? What do you, what you like, what are some of the qualities that you think are really uh, efficient for future leaders that you have leveraged throughout your journey? That would be really efficient and really uh, helpful for us to know. I think the the most important thing probably is has been a, a big learning for me is don't take things personally. It's very, mm. very difficult, mm. but has to be. You you want to be passionate and it's important, but don't think that your passion is your. It's actually a byword for. Uh, personal thing because mm. your passion can be there but then there is a dispassionate moment in which the person in front of you is not attacking you because it's you it's attacking mm. you because it's them so mm. that for me has been learning until you don't especially what i do now until you don't put yourself truly in the shoes of the person in front of you you're not gonna make a successful strategy in data mm. because again data is all the more I study data, the more I find people. It's amazing. It's really amazing. I'm talking <laughs> about neo. It's, in, it's a neo, uh, a, a digital neo-humanism. I'm talking about. So mm. digital is actually pushing people in the foreground of the, mm. the stage. And the difference between a good strategy implemented and a bad strategy implemented is how much people were with you in their hearts and minds. So, wow. if you if you are personal in what 
people are telling you you bring change and the first thing that a human being will do with change is no thank you no thank you and it, it would be too easy to say oh so you don't believe in what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> what i'm saying right no it's just that they don't understand and they they are not convinced that the, the only thing they see is pain for them because learning mm. new things is painful mm. and that's the physiology of your brain right that's number one mm. number two uh you really need to learn how to take feedback <laughs> mm. and we all say yeah give me some feedback give me some feedback but uh, you know it's like you say give me some feedback when the other person starts to talk you switch off so mm. okay i i solicited i solicited some feedback but what you've done with that <laughs> so really i i took them quite a few kick in my teeth in the past mm. and learn that you need to see that one coming Mm. understand really when things are going in the wrong direction from the feedback you're getting around you you really need to sense your audience and sense when and especially coming from a different culture is incredibly complex because mm. coming from an italian culture in which we say each other exactly what we think about each other going mm. into a british culture in which yeah interesting <laughs> and interesting interesting is bad right <laughs> or, or uh, Thank you very much for your thought which means really you shouldn't have told me because I don't right. really care. So you need to tone these things so I, so understand how you you get your feedback and you elicit your feedback it is an art in itself. And I think that the the third thing has to be if you are not believing that you can do anything you want to do probably you shouldn't really start mm. this because um I think the not even the sky's limit i mean the, there is nothing in what we where we're going nothing nothing is really impossible the 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 excitement of where we are today is that this is a new phase of the human history mm. i truly believe that but it was it's going to be down to us and the way we interpret we will interpret this and we'll harness the power of this big thing which is data which will make this a incredibly fantastic utopia or a disastrous dystopia so mm. we are at a junction so we need to believe what we're doing but we need to do it with uh, open eyes and uh, you know sometimes look behind mm. because you are sitting on dwarfs uh, you're a dwarf sitting on giant shoulder so studying history and philosophy will help wow i think the so this would be i think uh, i i i get it this is pretty cool i think i'm still digesting a lot of karma and a lot of sort of thoughts went into this so i think that uh, definitely a, a delight a treat so if one thing we ask uh, all of our guests is to share one of their favorite read or one of the some of the books that they have read that they they would like to share with our readers and viewers like do you have some so i don't read a lot of business stuff um but um a source of my inspiration for many things I've done, I have to say, is Philip K. Dick. For people <laughs> that don't know him, uh, is only the guy that's been behind uh, Total Recall, you know, um, the um, Blade Runner. Um, I mean, it's been invented, you know, you know the the science fiction of uh, these days. As a, even Minority Report. I mean, any mm. any film you, that is a film of a certain decency. probably it was written by originally is <laughs> is right. something written by Philip Dick so i think the um there are um 
there are a couple of those, uh, a scanner darkly, and uh, of course, um, do androids dream about electric ship, which is the uh, it's the basis for uh, Blade Runner. And they were very insightful from, again, this intimate connection between the dystopian effect that something mm. that progress can bring into your life and how human beings being human beings for uh, you know for the last 500,000 years mm. from that point of view our sentiments our feelings the way we react our mm. passions not changed i mean you just have to watch troy there's been a quite a, a good representation of bbc here of troy i mean mm. and i i studied that in greek when i was in italy and i i i realized how you know up to date that kind of stuff is right mm. human beings are the same so lust and passion and war and uh, hatred and, and it's all there so thing, yeah call it call it our biological face right we're still <laughs> in our biological so <laughs> so i think uh, I, I definitely philip kedic would be the one who will single out in terms of uh, um inspiration but if you want to go more on the business side i read uh, a book recently it's called team of teams from General McChrystal. Uh, it's another mm. word basically appointed as a chief of staff for uh, the war in Iraq. And the, well, the, 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 the thought at the, big, at the bottom of that is that in a, in a world which is complex and is evolving very rapidly, you don't have time for hierarchies. Mm. So the connect, the empathic connection of multiple teams that are fulfilling the same purpose because they believe in the purpose and they can act like mm. one brain composed by many neurons is a i think the new fabric in which corporations of today will need to really work on and the for me the learning really is that and then something that is written is in in the game of theory we've been using up until now to put people in competition within the same organization so we can mm. achieve better results Mm. It's completely vain and it's completely actually it's poisonous in mm. our environment. So you cannot win, and you're winning being predicated on someone else's losing in your com company. So if I do a project or if I sit in a project call and I'm happy if I can dish out red dots everywhere mm. and I'm, I'm actually you know, thinking I fulfilled my program management role because I've been beating up people because they were bad. That's not the way a good company data-driven should work. I mean, everyone wins or everyone loses. Mm. You can't have your bonus because someone else has actually lost his bonus, just to put it in, in monetary terms. So interesting. It's kind of quite interesting. Pretty cool. And, and so last but not the least, um, if you want the the listeners and viewers to take away from the conversation, like what would some of the things that you would like to suggest as a closing remark for our, for our, for our community members? Data is just good business. I mean, don't don't um, make it too complex of what it is. And I think and the probably the sentence uh, I, I close, I use this phrase to close a couple of conferences as um, Ronald Coase is a world, um, you know, it's been uh, a uh, Nobel Prize for economy. Hmm. And he was saying, torture data, and he will confess to it. <laughs> right. right. And uh, sometimes we, we torture data. And, uh, right. <laughs> because the, the biggest risk we run is bias. Hmm. Bias, right. Very, very aware of that.
Interesting. With that, uh, Roberto, thank you so, so much for uh, for your time. I think it was a fabulous therapy session for a lot of chief data officers. Who are, <laughs> I think there were a lot of anecdotes, there were a lot of stories, a lot of, I think, rarely have I sort of sat with someone who's very, cl so clear in, in their thinking and sort of very good at storytelling and sort of, I think I, I would not, uh, I would be excited to see it go live. This will this would be a treat for uh, for many of folks who are sort of scratching their head around how so. to sort of bring all this all together. So I think I do appreciate you for giving a very sort of uh, nice perspective and overlook to that. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Home, but actually I was homesick Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it, that's it. And I go into the booth feeling nervous Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on this